How are you doing, West Bowles? Judging from the healthy glow, you were out in the sun yesterday. How many got too much sun? Yeah, quite a few of you. The summer sun is here. We need to cover up, yes? I came in and I thought, what's that smell? And it's sort of a mixture of aloe and solar cane. So cover up today when you go out into the beautiful weather. Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We are going to stay camped on Acts chapter 9, 10 through 31, uh, where we were last week. Uh, we'll be there this week and then, Lord willing, one more week uh, next week. Over the past few months, as you know, if you've been with us for any part of that time or even all of it, we've been working our way through this remarkable book of Acts. I have suggested to you that one way to approach the book of Acts, and it's the way we're approaching it, is to see it as a story of the early church exploding both in and then out of Israel, and to see it as a story of those earliest Christians taking the kingdom of God to a world that is desperate for it. On the screen, you'll see what we've covered already in list form anyway of what's involved. What's it like when we bring the kingdom of God to the world, when we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to the world? Last week, you can see on the bottom there, uh, we added our most recent feature of kingdom bringing in Jesus' name, forgiveness. We concluded that forgiveness is releasing someone from punishment and it's releasing them even from the desire that punishment should take place. I think we agreed that as difficult as that first part of that definition is, releasing someone from punishment, it's that second part of that definition because it involves a, a much deeper change of heart that can be much more difficult, can't it? It's especially difficult to get to that place, it seems, where we no longer even desire that the people who hurt us are punished or at least somehow held accountable. We've been looking at this topic of forgiveness through the story of the Apostle Saul, or Paul as he was also called, specifically in Acts 9, 10 through 31, the story of an absolutely phenomenal occurrence of forgiveness that Saul receives. First from the believers in Damascus who call him brother and join in with him in teaching. And then three years later in Jerusalem, the early believers actually found a way to forgive Saul for the terrible things he had done to them. I mean, you remember, the man literally hunted many of them down for arrest and even death. And yet the early Christians outright forgave him and welcomed him as one of their own. They they didn't exact punishment from him. And even any desire that they may have once had that Saul indeed be punished for what he had done, it seems to have vanished in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. We left off last week talking about why it's often so difficult for us to forgive. I know it's often difficult for me. Is 
Isn't that really hard sometimes to forgive someone for something they did to you? I suggested to you that one reason it's difficult to forgive is that whenever that first bell rings calling us to forgiveness, it it necessarily comes hand in hand with pain and suffering that we're feeling right then over the wrong. It's very hard to forgive someone when you're knocked down laying on your back after they've hit you. It's very hard to forgive when we're feeling the pain over the wrong. Second reason we found it difficult to forgive often is that it seems like when we forgive, we're giving away something far too valuable, doesn't it? It seems like it might be far wiser or far better for us to hang on to that desire that justice be served. I suggested to you that that seems like part of that is important because it doesn't bear up under closer examination because when we look at it closer in reality, the longer we hang on to that desire, the longer we guard that desire that the wrongdoer be punished, the longer we're held prisoner by the past, prisoner by a past event that can never be changed. And the longer we we hang on to that desire that the wrongdoer be punished, the longer it takes, the longer we delay the time before true healing and closure and God's peace that passes understanding can do its supernatural work in our lives. And so it only seems like we're freeing up the wrongdoer to get away with something when we forgive. But in reality, when we don't forgive, we only bind up our own freedom to continue growing in the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. That's where we ended last week. Well, there was one more step. I gave you an assignment last week. How many of you did your assignment? That's pretty much the response I get from my Bible class at Front Range. I asked you, if you, maybe some of you don't remember, I, I will help you. I asked you to reflect this past week on whether or not our forgiveness depends on the wrongdoer repenting of their wrong. Does that ring a bell? Okay, I see some suntanned nods. Good. Must repentance from a wrongdoer necessarily come first before we forgive? Does a wrongdoer have to say and really, really, really mean, (laughs) I'm sorry, please forgive me, before God's command to us to forgive kicks in. you ever thought about that? Many of you, perhaps not last week, but have you ever thought about it? Maybe think about it a little with us now. It's not an easy one to think about, is it? I mean, when someone hurts you and they're not even sorry about it, Maybe they're even delighted with the fact that they hurt you. Maybe they're even planning to hurt you again. 
Or maybe, and this can be even worse sometime, it can really fester in our souls. Maybe they're not even thinking about it at all. Maybe they're clueless over the fact that they have done something wrong. They don't even recognize it and think that they actually did something right. How dare they, yes? Does God really desire that we forgive even then? What do you think? Does forgiveness only come after the wrongdoer repents of their wrong? Or should forgiveness come whether or not someone says and really, really means, I'm sorry, please forgive me? Now, I'll tell you up front, you will find disagreement over this issue among different Christian scholars. I did when I went looking. In part, it's because the Bible seems to be sending mixed signals here. There are many passages which, if you just read them on their face and don't look at context, and we always look at context when we study the text, if you just read the Bible on its face, don't look at context, don't worry about one verse having to fit with another verse, which we know must happen because all of Scripture is God's Word, But if you just take some verses out of context, there are many passages that on their face at least seem to point to opposite directions to our question, which comes first, forgiveness or repentance. Let me give you some examples. There are far too many to give you all of them, but let me give you just a few. God says in 2 Chronicles, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, in other words, if they repent, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Hmm. Sounds like repentance comes first before forgiveness there, doesn't it? But then God goes ahead in Isaiah and he says, I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have, past tense, redeemed you. Now, what's going on? It sounds like forgiveness came first in that example, doesn't it? And that God is using forgiveness to woo his people back to him. You say, well, that's the Old Testament. How about the New? So glad you asked. Peter says in Acts 2, and we studied that not too long ago, Peter says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven. Seems like repentance coming before forgiveness there, doesn't it? But about... Fifty days before Peter said that, on that first Pentecost, about fifty days before Peter said that, Jesus hung on a cross, and immediately after he is nailed to the cross, and perhaps when you read in Luke, even as he's being nailed to the cross, Jesus actually says, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Wow. 
Jesus prays for the forgiveness of those putting him to death. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound to me like those folks putting him to death are being particularly sorry or repentant at the moment, are they? Sounds like forgiveness comes before repentance in that example. Earlier in Luke, last one, Jesus again says this, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And by now, if you were like me, I was scratching my head in my study the last couple of weeks and going, all right, this is getting downright confusing, isn't it? Is the Bible having a hard time making up its mind here or what? And we can appreciate, at least, can't we, why brothers and sisters in Christ disagree on this issue of the order of forgiveness and repentance? So which comes first, forgiveness or repentance? First of all, let me say this. The Bible is not confused on this point or any point. Amen? Our interpretation and application is sometimes a challenge, but the Bible is God's Word. It is inspired, which literally means in the Greek, God-breathed. And therefore, it is not having trouble making up its mind. Well, what then? How do, how do we resolve the apparent differences, at least, among different passages here over this question of which comes first, forgiveness or repentance? I'm going to share with you this morning one thing in particular that has been a huge help for me in harmonizing these passages and many more like them. It's been a huge help for me in answering in my own life, whether forgiveness or repentance should come first when people hurt me. It's my hope and prayer that it will help you too. That's why I'm sharing it. I, I hope it may help you as much as it has helped me. Now, I'll share with you just a little bit of my concern or anxiety this morning. I have little doubt that some or many of you may disagree with me on this one. If you do, there's the door. No, I'm just kidding. It's okay if some of you disagree with me on this one. I, I hope everyone doesn't. I'll, that'll make me feel kind of sad. But if you disagree with me on this one, that's okay. Like I said, there are many Christians on both sides of the aisle here. On this which comes first, the chicken or the egg issue of forgiveness and repentance. So if we disagree on this one, please don't get angry. Please don't storm out. Please, let's keep talking about it and working through it together, shall we? So at the very least, allow me, if you will, to get the ball rolling on that discussion. Which comes first, forgiveness or repentance? What has helped me untie the forgiveness-repentance knot is, the, is to be very, very, very careful to distinguish between forgiveness and something called reconciliation. Say reconciliation. Yeah, now I've treated you like my sophomore Bible students. I'm sorry. Be very careful 
in my strong opinion, to distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. We often treat those things as one and the same. And it can get us into trouble in interpreting and applying God's Word. More on that in a minute, but let me first give you what I feel are important distinctions between forgiveness and reconciliation. In my opinion, forgiveness is, the, is in fact independent from anything the wrongdoer does or does not do. It's independent of whether or not the wrongdoer says they're sorry. Forgiveness is independent of whether or not the wrongdoer is repentant. Instead, forgiveness is all about my attitude toward the wrongdoer and my response to the wrong. In a word, true forgiveness is unconditional. It is forgiveness, one of our deepest expressions of true love. And like true love, true forgiveness is unconditional. Forgiveness, releasing others from even the desire that they be punished for their wrong, is primarily, at least, about the health of the one doing the forgiving. Forgiveness, then, is about the health of the individual. That's forgiveness, in a nutshell, in my opinion. On the other hand, reconciliation is about taking those additional steps beyond forgiveness to restore the relationship between two or more people. Reconciliation, then, is about the health of the relationship. Reconciliation is highly conditional. If you and I are at odds because one or perhaps even both of us have done something wrong to the other, reconciliation demands a willingness for us each to say over our wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. To be reconciled, we need a willingness to admit wrongdoing, to admit I'm wrong. Reconciliation then includes that hard work of rebuilding broken trust. It may involve setting new boundaries. It may involve accountability to third persons. And it may, although not always, but it seems to at least tend to take much longer than the act of forgiveness. Even if I can forgive you, can I trust you again? Can I trust you again is the question that reconciliation asks. And that can take a little or a whole lot longer, typically. Now, one bumper sticker that helps me remember this distinction, my Bible students can tell they get this glazed look and they're desperately seeking a bumper sticker because, oh, forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation. I see that in some of you, so I'm going to give you a bumper sticker to help you remember this distinction that I'm sharing this morning between forgiveness and reconciliation. Here's the bumper sticker. It takes one to forgive, the individual forgiver, but it takes two to reconcile, 
Each party needs to desire reconciliation. Now, someone after the service said, you you really should say it takes two to forgive and three to reconcile because um, God is involved on both sides, to which I said, amen, and to which I said, thanks for ruining my bumper sticker. (laughs) Next week, we will talk about in the context of how is it that we forgive And I'll bring God into it in a huge way that will blow away my bumper sticker. But for today's sermon, it takes one to forgive and it takes two to reconcile. Now, it's true. Forgiveness and reconciliation are closely linked, but they are not the same thing. The relationship between forgiveness and reconciliation is that forgiveness is necessary for reconciliation to take place, but they're still two different things. By the way, there's a quick self-test you can take to determine whether or not you have truly forgiven someone. Do you ever find yourself wondering if you really have forgiven someone? I get that sometimes. It's like, you know, did you forgive me? And I, Well, yeah, I, yeah, yes, I forgave you. I think so. Here's a quick self-test if you ever really wonder And maybe it's not just flippant or funny like that. Maybe you're really grappling with whether you have indeed forgiven. Here's a self-test, I think. Um, Think of someone right now that has caused you pain. We'll try it out. Don't look at them. Just think of them. Someone who you believe at least, you know, was, was in the wrong in something that they've done to you. Okay, you got them? Yeah, some of you are just a minute, 29, 30, 31. Now, here's the question. And maybe someone that you think you've forgiven. It's like, yeah, they did that to me, but I forgave them. Ask yourself this question once. It's sort of a, was your forgiveness a true forgiveness self-test? Do you want to reconcile with that person? Is the self-test. Because in my opinion... True forgiveness at least leads to the desire on the forgiver's part to want, to try at least, to mend that relationship. Now, it takes two. If you have that desire, it's likely you've truly forgiven them. But if you don't desire to work on that relationship, if you'd rather just nothing to do with them because that's messy and Chances are maybe you haven't truly let go of something maybe even buried deep in your subconscious that really would still like them to pay for what they've done to me. Okay. Now, how does keeping forgiveness and reconciliation separate help us resolve the differences or the seeming differences between those Bible verses that often have repentance and forgiveness happening in different order. A couple of things to offer you. It may be that at times when the Bible speaks of forgiveness, it has its eye, biblical eye, wide open on the complete process of forgiveness and reconciliation. And then maybe at other times... The forgiveness being talked about in the Bible is indeed 
only the forgiveness part and not yet reconciliation. Does that make sense? Let's take Luke 17, verse 3, for example. Jesus is talking about fellow believers here. And the forgiveness there seems to include what would logically come next. The relationship is restored as well. Reconciliation may be at least presumed that it will happen among the body of believers there. Maybe. But then when we consider Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them, you look at that context and example, maybe reconciliation isn't presumed there yet. Something still remains to be done, doesn't it, to make that relationship between Jesus and those putting him to death whole again? Those whom God forgives still have this work of repentance for the relationship to be made complete again. Reconciliation still needs to occur following Jesus' forgiveness. While we have Luke 17, 3 on the screen, let me also say this. Notice one thing, please, about this verse. This verse seems to crop up most often from the scholarly camp that wants to put their stake in the ground and say that um, repentance must always come first. So that's why I'm picking on it a bit. Notice one thing about this verse. There's nothing in this verse or in any verse in the Bible that I can find that absolutely requires repentance before forgiveness. Jesus did not say here, did he? If and only if they repent, forgive them. In fact, if you take his words from Luke 17:3 and later from on the cross together, we might have a very logically progressing two-point lesson from our great teacher, Jesus. In Luke 17, the lesson is, hey, when a fellow believer repents, of course you forgive them. And then he completes the lesson, expands it further, even as he is dying. And even when your enemies don't repent, my love and grace and mercy is such that, of course, you forgive them as well, too. Suddenly, we have two biblical verses that on their face seemed opposite, marching, as the Music Man musical did last night, in step. Two verses that support each other and work together, rather than seemingly giving a competing point of view. I want to end this morning by looking at um, three things in particular where we often create even more trouble for ourselves. Bad enough we've got to deal with forgiveness. Or bad enough that we've got to deal with reconciliation. Two hard things. But in my opinion, we create even more trouble for ourselves when we make the mistake of always lumping them together. As if it's one thing that always occurs at the same time. I'm not sure what's behind that. It might be kind of our cultural need to just be done with it or something. Now, sometimes they do occur very close in time, but that doesn't mean they always do. In fact, most often, in my experience and study, they don't. When we assume they always occur at the same time, when we lose sight of the fact that they're really two separate things, there are at least three more pitfalls that we can fall into. We've already looked at one. 
we might end up misinterpreting parts of the Bible or concluding that the Bible, you know, um, is contradicting itself. And when we confuse forgiveness and reconciliation, it can also lead us to conclude that forgiveness means giving up a boundary in a relationship or laying ourselves bare to be repeatedly victimized. But this is not so when we remember to keep forgiveness and reconciliation separate. The example that came to my mind as a way of illustration is the example of a battered spouse. She needs, if she's the one being battered, she needs to get out of there right away. That relationship has a lot of work to do before it's reconciled. But my question is, can she forgive him even before that's completely done? Can she get to a place in her marriage where she does not even desire that her husband pay for what he's done to her, even before it's made right again? My answer is that in Christ, sure, she can. When we, when we confuse forgiveness and reconciliation in that illustration, we might be tempted to say something ridiculous like, well, if she's truly forgiven him, then that means it's all okay. They're reconciled and she should stay right there with him in the same house without any additional steps of accountability and healing. No. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean they are reconciled. There's still work to be done. Forgiveness does not mean that we become a willing victim. Another trap that we fall into when we confuse forgiveness and reconciliation or always lump them together is we start believing that awful little saying, in my opinion, that to forgive is to forget. How many have heard that saying? For one, for human beings at least, this is psychologically impossible. And frankly, it's not healthy to take painful memories and stuff them down a subconscious rabbit hole somewhere where they end up festering and boiling over, perhaps years later, causing all sorts of damage to us and to others. The only thing being forgotten, remember, with our definition of forgiveness, the only thing being forgotten when we forgive is the desire for punishment. The hurt is still remembered. And we desire to forgive anyway. We forgive despite the hurt. We forget the punishment we once craved, but we never truly forget the wrong. We we drain the wrong of its power to continually harm us when we forgive. But we don't truly forget the wrong. To put it a different way, in the context of punishment, the wrong is forgotten. But in the context of relationship building and continuing, in the context of reconciliation, we need to remember the wrong so we can deal with it before it deals with us. One last trap that we sometimes fall into when we confuse forgiveness and reconciliation is that we mistakenly conclude 
or begin to feel like the Christian life is necessarily one of passive resignation in the face of being wrong. We conclude or begin to feel that whenever we're hit, we just simply take it. We become sort of a wimp or a coward or something because we never fight back. And we conclude that forgiveness means never standing up for yourself when you are wronged. Simply not true. And it's easier to see that's not true when you remember forgiveness and reconciliation are different. Reconciliation does involve saying these boundaries have to be there for trust. And it takes hard work. It's not being passive at all. It's so far the opposite. And even if you just take forgiveness, I don't know. And this even crops up in some evangelical writing, which dismays me. When you take forgiveness, there's some that suggest out there, let's take the example of being bullied. There's some teaching out there that says, you know, when you're bullied, you know, part of what it means to grow up to be a man is you hit them back. As if that's the way of power or strength. And I just want to say, no. You do, when you can forgive without that easier, I think, response of hitting back, when you can do that, you release yourself from the power of the wrong done against you You do far more for yourself when you can walk away. You do far more for yourself than if you take what I think is the far easier road of simply swinging back or replying with the sharp comment in in that turn. There's nothing passive at all about forgiveness. There's nothing wimpy about it. It takes a real man, a real woman, a real child of God, to release someone who has wronged you from the desire that they be punished and to release that desire that you want to be part of what gets that punishment done too. Now that's where we're going to pause for a week. And we'll begin next week. I'd like to spend one more Sunday, Lord willing, talking about how is it that we can forgive talked a lot about what it is. We haven't said too much about how is it that we can actually release ourselves from that powerful grip sometimes that we want vengeance or justice. to. How can we release that and give that to God, which he asks us to do? How is it that we can do that? How can we arrive at a place of, of no longer even desiring that someone who hurts us should pay? That's your assignment for this week, if you like. Think about that. What, what's worked for you? What hasn't worked for you as you've tried to forgive someone? You know, where have you had success in getting over that desire that they, that they pay? And um, we'll share together with that uh, one week from today. For today, however, I'll let you go with one more look at the bumper sticker. It's proved helpful advice to me. I hope it does for you. Remember, it takes one to forgive with God's help and two to reconcile with God's help too. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, what an example in your Son on the cross that even as he is being nailed for the sins of the world, including mine, when he himself didn't do anything at all to deserve any of it, that somehow this God-man actually asked you to forgive them. Father, would you find in each of us and in us as a church that kind of self-sacrifice, that kind of looking to you, that kind of forgiveness? Father, I ask for safety as my friends and brothers and sisters leave here today. Go with them as you have promised wherever they go this week. And may the light of your indwelling spirit shine through them. We love you, Father. And we pray all of this in the precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Number one, please remember the missions if the Holy Spirit has so moved you to help with that. Number two, if you would desire someone to pray with you for anything going on, please make your way down front. Look for a big patch that says, how can I pray with you on some of your church brothers and sisters? Thank you. Have a great week.